morning scriptures taken from Matthew chapter 24, 42 through 51. <clears throat> it says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had not known, or had known what time the, the night leave was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. For there is faithful and wise servant who the master has put in charge of the servant's house to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And, and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on the day when he does not expect him and at that hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Jerome and Jeff and Steve. Thank you. And good morning, church. We are going to um, take a moment and pray again. You heard our shepherd, Steve Gibney, pray for Clyde uh, Baco, and forgive me, please, if I am botching that name, but many of you have uh, had the opportunity to meet Kevin and Beth Beasley. Um, they have recently moved to Kansas City from Wichita, and um, Beth's father is Clyde uh, Baco, and um, he just got news that he's being sent home to spend his last days. He's ter terminally ill. So let's uh, take a moment and pray for Beth's family. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for loving us, for we are a poor and lowly, sinful people, and we thank you for even thinking about us, let alone loving us. Father, we, right now we want to lift up Beth Beasley and her family, we pray for comfort in her time of, of trial, and we pray for Clyde as well, Beth's father. We pray for comfort and and uh, peace for him uh, in this time uh, that is very difficult for them. And help us as the church and her friends uh, to love on them just as you have loved on us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, many of you know that today is Master's Sunday. Today is the final round of the Master's Golf Tournament. Maybe you in the commercials, it's a tradition unlike any other, right? Golf fans flock to this golf course to watch this tournament. They wait all year long for this tournament because of the prestige, the showcase of talent that the professionals display, and the views of the beautiful and lush golf course in Augusta, Georgia, at Augusta National. And golf fans Know that this view, this picture is of Amen Corner. And be careful, don't look directly at it for too long or you might go blind or even die. It's that beautiful. So for all you golf fans out there, happy Master Sunday. I hope you enjoy your afternoon and evening of golf watching and napping. For you Christians out there, every Sunday is Master Sunday, right? Because you have a master who rose from the grave 
on the first day of the week. So Sundays are that very special day of worship and fellowship for you. Your master is not only master of your own life, but he's the master of the entire universe. So Master Sunday is not only for golf fans, it's for Christians too. So this morning, I would like to discuss with you, show you what it means to have Jesus as your master. And if you are not a Christian today, if you have not um, let Jesus become your master, I want you to listen and think about making Jesus your master. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could leave this building today with a new master of your life? So let's begin uh, with 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here Paul, the Apostle Paul is uh, talking to some Christians, giving them instructions on how to live out their faith in certain social situations. He spends most of his energy on uh, unmarried Christians, but he also addresses uh, married Christians who are married to unbelievers. But he also has some things to say to slaves and masters and free men. It says, For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's free man. Similarly, he who is a freed man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Now, I don't know about you, but I like my freedom. And I like living in the land of the free. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want somebody telling me what I can and can't do and when to do that. And I certainly don't like the idea of being bought, purchased for a price. This verse kind of steps on my toes because I don't want to be a slave. Is it yours? It is estimated that one out of every three or four people were slaves in the Greco-Roman Empire of the first century. In fact, one Roman politician wanted to have a dress code for all the slaves. Uh, but that idea was shot down for fear that slaves would realize how numerous they were, and then they would revolt. According to Ferguson's backgrounds of early Christianity, the slave had no legal rights and was subject to the absolute power of the master. Slaves had no right to marry, and their children belonged to the owner of the slave mother. Slaves were cut off from their ancestral lineage and had very little sense of identity. Aristotle, who lived just a couple hundred years before Jesus, defined a slave as living property. The slave is a living tool, and the tool a lifeless slave. Now, some slaves did have it better than others. These slaves that Paul is addressing are most likely household slaves. They worked in people's homes and were servants. For these slaves, their, their treatment depended solely on the kindness, or lack thereof, of their master. Some masters beat their slaves, while other masters respected their slaves. Some masters even let their slaves save money and buy back their freedom. And some masters even graciously gifted freedom to their slaves if they showed promise or passion for another career. 
So when Paul says that we are slaves, bought at a price, we too are solely dependent on the kindness, or lack thereof, of our master. If you are a Christian, it is your master who said this to the crowd that followed him. He said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that. It sounds so good to me. Now, there could have been a few slaves in those crowds following Jesus. And for them, those slaves in that, in that crowd, this must have sounded like music to their ears. But what about the people who were not slaves? Most of the people in the crowd were not slaves because they had the freedom to do just that, follow and listen to Jesus. If these people were not slaves, if they were not burdened by any master, if masters themselves, why so weary? Why are these people so burdened? One reason may be tax collectors. The Roman Empire was a very greedy empire, and its tax collectors were ruthless. A lot of times, even collecting even more than what the people legally owed. This is why if you read the, the New Testament, tax collectors have a very bad name, and they're lumped in with pagan sinners. So Jesus may have been appealing to those who were burdened by poverty, tax collectors, and greedy politicians. That could be. But Jesus wasn't a politician, was he? He wasn't on a campaign trail to run for governor or to overthrow the Roman Empire. Jesus' platform was religious in nature. And he was appealing to the, the people who were burdened by other religious leaders, like Pharisees and teachers of the law. These religious leaders, whom Jesus called hypocrites, demanded strict obedience to the law of Moses, to the point that people basically lived in slavery. The religion that these crowds following Jesus knew was extremely legalistic and created a system that was impossible to follow. The reason why Jesus called the Pharisees and teachers of the law hypocrites is because they claimed to follow the law of Moses perfectly, which cleansed them from sin. Now, have any of you ever heard the expression, all hats, no cattle? You might be able to figure it out, but if, if somebody is wearing a cowboy hat and perhaps some Wrangler jeans and some cowboy boots, you might think that that person is a cowboy or a rancher. But does that really make him a rancher or a cowboy? Not really. Just because you wear the hat doesn't mean that you have the cattle. Uh, what's on the inside determines whether you're a cowboy or a rancher. So these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were all hat, no cattle. In other words, they were all religion and no faith. They did everything right on the outside, 
they wore the, the right ceremonial robes. They said the right prayers. They said the right things. Um, but all this was on the inside. They didn't have any real faith of substance on the inside. So Jesus, knowing his competition, says to his followers, I am gentle and humble in heart. I will give you rest. My burden is light. For a people who are burdened by religious slavery, this had to sound like music to their ears. Jesus, as humble and gentle rabbi, was a breath of fresh air compared to the harsh, demanding, hypocritical alternative to Pharisees and teachers of the law. This is why Paul says in Galatians 5, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Jesus is a kind master who has granted us freedom from the yoke of trying to obey the law perfectly. Which really is impossible, right? To think that you can become righteous by following the law all by yourself is to alienate yourself from Christ. To fall away from grace. Now, I don't think you want to do that. I don't think you want to alienate yourself from Christ. You want to be like this with Christ and grace. Pals. BFFs. Right? Like I am. So you might be saying, all right, John. I think I'm ready to make Jesus my master today. He is gentle and humble. I like that. He does say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That sounds pretty good. But you know what? My, my burden has really never been that heavy anyways. Why do I even need a master? And after all, I don't have any major problems with, with the government or tax collectors and certainly not my religious leaders. Being a slave still sounds kind of lame. It doesn't sound very fun. And I'm doing pretty good by myself. You know, trying to be like Jesus more every day. I think I've got a pretty good grasp on, on my life, my faith. Well, if this is what you're thinking, if this is your attitude, well, I've got a memo from Paul that you need to read. And it says that you are a slave whether you want to be or not and whether you knew it or not. And you do have a master. Jesus may have been addressing actual household slaves when he said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He could very well have been talking to those who were hard-pressed under the Roman government and tax collectors. And he was definitely talking to those who were burdened by the other religious leaders, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. But Jesus, he also had something else in mind. Jesus spent a lot of his time with those who were not burdened by the government, who were not burdened by tax collectors or other religious leaders. He spent a lot of time with those who had bad reputations, with sinners. See, maybe not everybody is burdened by forced labor or religious slavery or the government. But I will still tell you that everybody is burdened by slavery. 
You don't even really have much choice in the matter. You are a slave. It is just a matter of whose slave are you? Who is your master? Paul addresses this very thing in Romans chapter 6. Paul is encouraging baptized believers to be slaves of God. He says in verse 16, don't you know that when you offer your uh, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So I don't care who you are or what your job is, you are a slave. The question is, are you a slave to sin? or a slave to righteousness. Jesus spent most of his time with those who had bad reputations and and the sinners, slaves to sin, because what he offered was freedom and rest from the bondage of sin. Now, as sinners, doesn't that sound pretty good? Don't you want freedom, and rest from the bondage of sin? That sounds pretty good. And Jesus differs from the Pharisees and slave owners because these masters only cared about the physical things on the outside. Whether it be forced labor or sacrifice and cleanliness like the Pharisees did. But these are all fleshly physical things done with the outside of the body. Jesus, on the other hand, is concerned with an obedience that comes from the inside, from the heart. For it is with the heart that one decides to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. I look at the very next verse from Romans chapter 6, verse 17. It says, But thanks be to God that That though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you are entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Jesus demands wholehearted obedience. Now, if this verse isn't enough to convince you, listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Here Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. So Jesus calls for obedience Not from the outside alone, but more importantly, from the inside, from the heart. Now, becoming a slave doesn't sound like much fun, does it? It's unnatural for us to lower ourselves to the level of being a servant, a slave. Even the twelve disciples, Jesus' closest comrades, they asked, 
who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God? They didn't. They weren't interested in who would be the slaves of the kingdom of God, were they? They also wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand. They wanted power and authority, significance and prestige. That's kind of what we naturally want. We don't want to serve naturally. The disciples didn't want to be a slave, and frankly, neither do I. And I bet you don't really want to be a slave either. But Jesus showed us the way. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I don't want to do things like that. And he said, whoever wants to be first among you must be the very last and servant of all. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Has anyone seen the documentary March of the Penguins? This movie is now 10 years old. It came out in 2005. Uh, this film tells the extraordinary story of the life of the emperor penguin. So each February, these emperor penguins arrive to Antarctica. And when they get to Antarctica, they trek their way, waddle their way 70 miles inland to their traditional nesting ground. All the while, they're battling 100-mile-per-hour blizzards and temperatures that reach 70 degrees below zero. So they make the 70-mile trek to their traditional nesting ground, and they pair up into monogamous couples. They mate, and nine weeks later, a single egg for each couple. Now the mother is exhausted, so she hands her egg off to the father and makes the 70-mile trek back to the ocean, back to the sea to feed. And the father, meanwhile, huddles up with all the rest of the father penguins, puts the egg on, on his feet, and then puts his belly fat over the, uh, the egg to incubate it. If that egg is exposed just for one minute to the cold weather, the baby penguin will be lost. And the fathers lose half of their body weight as they're incubating that egg for two months, fasting from food and water. So eventually the female mother penguin comes back from feeding. And so the father then hands the egg back to the mother. The father makes the 70-mile trek back to the ocean to feed, getting its health back. Isn't that remarkable? Unbelievable what lengths these penguins do for their young? Facing predators and blizzards, starvation and famine, giving up comfort, food, all for somebody else. My wife is 20 weeks pregnant right now, and I've barely lifted a finger to help our girl. <laughs> but you know what? Somebody has. Somebody has. Look at what Cindy Ledoux has made of this. <laughs> Cindy, you have the attitude of an emperor penguin. Did you know that? Now, I'm sure that these penguins don't always enjoy the experience. In fact, I'm pretty sure they probably feel weary and burdened and perhaps 
enslaved by their work. But if they could talk, these penguins would talk, they would probably tell us that there are some things worth sacrificing for and that they're just simply doing their job. Jesus says, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Luke 17.10 You've probably also noticed Paul Myers waddling around like a penguin in church um, when his bum knee. Uh, Despite his knee pain and his surgery, Paul Myers has uh, faithfully served this congregation all the while. So thank you, Paul Myers, for being an emperor penguin. People like uh, Jim and Jeannie Massey come to mind for their work in the Backsnack program. And Marty Nelson for maintaining the building and property. Um, those who mow the lawn and uh, those who do the audio video and all our Sunday school classes, they all are emperor penguins. And all these people, if they could talk, oh wait, they can't. These people would say that there are some worth sacrificing for. And that being a slave of Christ is totally worth it. There is great pleasure and satisfaction in serving. And you know what the really great part is? Jesus treats his slaves just like he treats his sons and daughters. They get the inheritance. Isn't that great? They get the inheritance, eternal life with God. So this morning, if you want to be a slave of Christ, it takes an attitude of humility and service. Just like Jesus showed. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He even died for you. He went as far as to die a cruel death for you. That was his attitude. To obey your master is to serve. So who then is the wise and faithful servant? Blessed is that servant whom his master finds him so doing when he returns. Are you ready for the master's return? If you are not ready, today is a great day for you to have a new master. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Rest. Are you weary and burdened? Jesus is a kind master. In a moment, we're going to sing another song, and, and there will be a shepherd of our congregation that comes to the front and one in the back. If you are ready to give your life to Jesus, you may talk to them, and we will baptize you into Christ, add you to Christ's family, and you can serve as a slave of Christ. If there's any need at all, please come as we stand and sing.